This is case 55 <coughs> from the Blue Cliff record. Tawu's condolence call. Pointer. Secure and intimate with the whole reality. One obtains realization right there. In contact with the flow, able to turn things around, one assumes responsibility directly. As for cutting off confusion in the light of a stone-struck spark or a flash of lightning, or towering up like a mile-high wall where one occupies the tiger's head and takes the tiger's tail, this I leave aside for the moment. Is there a way to help people by letting out a continuous path or not? To test, I cite this case. Look. Tawu and Chien Yuan went to a house to make a condolence call. Yuan hit the coffin and said, Dead or alive? Wu said, I won't say alive and I won't say dead. Yuan said, Why won't you say? You said, I won't say, I won't say. Halfway back, as they were returning, Yuan said, Tell me right away, teacher. If you don't tell me, I'll hit you. Wu said, You may hit me, but I won't say. Yuan then hit him. Later, Tao passed on. Yuan went to Shishuang and brought up the foregoing story. Shuang said, I won't say alive, I won't say dead. Yuan said, why won't you say? Shuang said, I won't say, I won't say. At these words, Yuan had an insight. One day, Yuan took a hoe into the teaching hall and crossed back and forth from east to west and west to east. Shuang said, what are you doing? Yuan said, I'm looking for the relics of our late master. Shuang said, vast waves spread far and wide. Foaming billows flood the skies. What relics of the late master are you looking for? Zuetu added a comment saying, heavens, heavens. Yuan said, this is just where I should apply some effort. Fu of Taiwan said, the late master relics are still present. The verse, rabbits and horses have holes. Oxen and rams have no holes. Nary a hair, nary a wisp, like mountains, like peaks. The golden relics still exist right now. With white foaming waves flooding the sky, where can they be put? There is no place to put them. Even the one who returned to the West with one shoe has lost them. It's a fairly long case, long koan. Fairly long life we have.
So we have to match it sometimes with a longer coin. That issue of life and death is what lies at the heart of spiritual quest in all religions. We might say that this is what brings about the establishment of spiritual path, whether or not this path is labeled as a religion. Where do we come from? What is this existence we so dearly identify with? And where does it go after it dissolves? These questions have always been occupying us as humans and have been acting as motivators in the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. Essentially, the way in which we choose to examine these questions determines and shapes the world we live in. It's, it's quite serious or quite important for us to, to actually choose to examine. There's many cases in we don't even, we're afraid to turn towards reality. And what motivates individuals also motivates nations. So, so many wars begin with an insignificant sense of pride that grows uncontrollably to a raging fire that destroys many lives for no real reason. And, on the other side of that, when an insignificant sense of pride is carefully observed, as seen and seen as a passing thought, it is let go of, and then a conflict is deemed pointless, unnecessary. In fact, it's doing much more than just helping us avoid conflicts. Every time we're able to work through the tendency to attach a fixed self to a passing thought or emotion, we create an energy force that stalls the ignorance and feeds the wisdom. At any level, individual or global, resistance only creates more resistance, and wars create more wars. In the same way, wisdom-based actions bring about more wisdom and allow humanity to change course. Allows us to bring more compassion, more humility, more understanding, more alignment with the way things are. But that's not so easy. The weeds we get entangled in are boundless. And so it comes down to the level of awareness we cultivate in our spiritual practice. So often we encounter a fork in the road without even being aware that there is more than one way to act. The moment we close our eyes to the nature of reality, the impulsive and habitual consciousness takes over and fear becomes the determinant factor. Recently I quoted a poem from Rumi which says, Do not move the way fear makes you move. Such a great advice that how many of us are actually applying it. Good advice because it recognizes that we do experience fear. It doesn't say there is no fear, don't worry about it. 
you're making this up. No, there is. As an experience. But the mock, the hallmark of the practice, right, is exactly what we do with it. Right there. Where do we go? Where do we turn? Do we turn towards or do we turn away? Never mind that we can't turn away. But we try. Hence we create suffering. Hence we are not aligned. But what is this fear that we experience? What is the origin of that feeling? What are we afraid of? What's the worst that can happen? We die. That's the worst that can happen. Isn't that always the worst that can happen? I mean, what else? What are we really afraid of? You know, essentially, it's the fear of not existing, which is based on an illusion or assumption that we do exist. Right? If, we, if we realize that this assumption is not true, what's going to happen to the fear? What's going to happen to the way we treat life and death? What will happen to the way we treat each other? If the worst that can happen is just things as they are, it's just reality. And reality does happen, whether we face it or not. So, in any spiritual practice, this is the fundamental aspect to observe, to look at, to face. And the fundamental fear we bring with us to the practice. We chant life and death are of supreme importance. It's on the hand. That's the practice. In the Upajatana Sutra, also known as the Five Remembrances, the Buddha suggested we look deeply at the following. He said, or we should say, I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. I cannot escape causation. If you remember Hyakujo and the fox, you remember the question, you remember the answer. Is an enlightened person free of cause and effect, of causation, of causality? And the answer was, 
An enlightened person does not ignore causation. An enlightened person does not ignore the weeds, the complications, the pain, the difficulties. Because a realized person realizes reality. It's not so special. And then he said, the last line was, is, my actions are the ground upon which I stand. It's very shaky ground. Constantly changes. As should our actions. But based on what? If we base them on fear, what's going to happen? How do we act? If we base our actions on trusting that this is exactly the way it should be, then what happens? The tendency to look at sickness, old age and death as depressing subjects we may prefer to avoid is all prevailing. This is the way it is. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. Right? But so what? What does it matter? So what do we do? We hold on to not wanting and we let go of seeing reality as it is. And we dig our heels to the ground, into the ground, and, and then what? Reality wins. But life and death are just aspects of a continuum, right? It's not even in question here. It's a continuum. So a denial of one aspect, right? If we deny death, would mean a denial of all. So you deny death and sickness and suffering and you're denying life itself. We don't pick and choose. We want to pick and choose. But we can pick and choose. That's the reality. It's a mixed bag. It's all or nothing. What do you choose? What do you do? If we can understand that, to that totality, then we would also understand that to deny death would mean to deny everything we care about at the same time. And to embrace death, wholeheartedly to embrace dying, would mean to embrace life. Some people say that the purpose of Buddhist practice is to prepare ourselves to die, to die well. Sounds quite depressing, but if we understand what that means, then it's actually not depressing at all. To die well means to live well, because when you, when you die, you are alive. And they say, people that work in hospice situations say that people tend to die the way they live. The last moments of their lives are not different than everything else. I mean, it's the same person, right? It's the same, everything is the same in that way. 
you're not going to be transported to another reality at that moment. So, so to learn how to die is to learn how to live. To learn to accept death is to learn to accept life. Because they are non-dual. Because there is no one, two, three, four, five, dead. It's a continuum. We do put lines on the ruler. I think it was Yamada Kun who said the ruler has two sides. One side has no lines. One side has lines. But we only see one side. So then we, then we measure everything and then we stress out over every little thing because we're not at the number which we think we need to be at. Whatever the number is for you, it doesn't matter whether it's education or money or achievements or whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you look at the other side, it's just one flat thing. It's one continuum. That's the essential world, which is not separate. It's not separated from the from everything we see, from everything we think. They are non-dual in essence. We try very hard to create a more palatable version of reality, and then we get frustrated and more fearful when we discover that at the end, resistance is futile. So I think quite often we fall down, we get disappointed, we get up and we think, well, I've got to try harder to create a different reality. I haven't tried hard enough. Only to discover that we fall down again. So at what point are we going to accept, merge, enter the flow? That sutra is suggesting we turn away from what is false and towards what is real, so we can let go of our destructive attachments and cultivate virtues such as generosity, morality, patience, tolerance, and wisdom. But because of our tendencies, or as the Buddha said, our upside-down views, we need to make an ongoing effort to not go astray. So we strengthen these virtues, paramitas, by making a decision to take the vows in Jukai and then to do our best to uphold them. This is all also why we occasionally need to hold fusatsu as we did today. And we energize the commitment to the vows through joint power of a Sangha. Essentially, the vows only represent the way a fully realized being would live. But they also keep, they keep us on the path of a realized practice. This doesn't mean we're on a train and at some point we'll arrive at the final destination called realization. It's not the practice to realization, it's the practice of realization. And as I mentioned before in uh, during Fusatsu, it, that whether we are practicing for one day or 40 years, it doesn't matter. Because a person who has been practicing for 40 years has not arrived 
at a different place of a person that is practicing for one day. If that would be the case, then the teachings of the Buddha would be inaccurate, wrong. Reality would be wrong. But as it goes, reality is right and we're wrong. So what we have to do is change the way we are interacting. Rather than wait for something to happen, realize it's happening. But I'm not quite seeing it fully. Which is a better place to be at, because from there, maybe you won't bug yourself about, I gotta get somewhere else. And then you can take all your energy and attention and devote it to merging, moment by moment. And maybe merging with dying is a big step. Fine. Merge with the small, what's bothering you right now? Merge with that. What do you think is the biggest obstacle in your life right now that's preventing you from settling down, from being at peace, from being content right now? That's an entry point. You want to die well, live well. So in our call today, Jian Yuan is going to make a condolence call with his teacher, Tao Wu, tagged along. During the visit, I would assume on the way to, you probably, Yuan probably had some thoughts about death, knowing I am going to encounter that face to face, how do I feel about this? That was already there, going to the call. During the visit, Yuan suddenly knocks on the coffin and asks, dead or alive? Imagine going, with, going to awake with a, with a friend, and then suddenly the friend knocks on the coffin. It would be quite embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, if it's a kid, maybe you would be, you know, forgiven, right? If it's a four-year-old. But this is different. It'd be better off to have a four-year-old. Anyway, so he knocks on the coffin and he asks, dead or alive? What is this question? What does he want to know? Dead or alive. It takes guts. It does take guts. So we can't just say that he doesn't know what he's doing. Because to face the fear is to ask the question. Right? To muster up the courage. To ask a question is to, is to take a step in addressing what we're afraid of. So we're not just trying to cover it up with some kind of an activity or activities. I want to know. I really want to know. But his teacher is able to meet that question in a perfectly matching statement. I won't say alive and I won't say dead. 
What a great answer. What a great way to fuel the quest. Give it some more call for the way. So you can keep burning. Keep it alive. Keep the question going. See where it takes you. In Zen practice, we need to know how and when to ask questions. And we need to muster up the courage to inquire in a genuine way. But in asking the question, we also need to know how to listen to the answer so we don't miss an opportunity. Maybe we need to move to remove the wax from our ears. And maybe we need a little bit less love or to be less in love with the question. Sometimes we ask questions totally focused on the question. Not even seeing that there is something else going on. I have a good question. I feel so good about it. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask it. So we ask the question and then we kind of simmer in the feeling good of I have a good question. What does that do? Keeps us trapped. We hear an answer, but no, that's not it. That's not what I was expecting. I need your help, and you're not helping me here. Give me something. It's like we walk around breathing recycled air from oxygen tanks attached to our backs. And then we meet somebody who says, you don't need all this extra weight. Just take off this mouthpiece. Take a sip of this fresh mountain air. But no, we don't want to do that. These oxygen tanks are filled with that which is most precious to us. We're not so easily giving it up. This is what I'm breathing. I know I need that for survival. If you want me to take it down, give me something else. Give me a different oxygen tank. So I can quickly take out one mouthpiece, put in another. <sighs> there it is again. I'm breathing. <clears throat> but that's not what his teacher is doing. He's telling him, you can breathe on your own. You don't need this apparatus you carry around with you. Put it down for a while. Try. So on the way back to the monastery, Yuan said, tell me right away, teacher. If you don't tell me, I'll hit you. Then he hit him. And the footnote says, you often encounter travelers who cut a notch in a boat thinking to mark the spot on the water which the boat is going over at a given time. It says, if you're like this latter kind of a fool, you'll enter hell as fast as an arrow. Now this is taken from a story of somebody who was riding on the boat and happened to drop his soul overboard. So he marked the spot on the boat so he can go and pick it up. <laughs> 
So I'm going to ask the same question again and see what happens, right? It's just, it's too late. It's gone. When you close your eyes, you close your eyes. Life doesn't stop. It keeps moving. But I want to go back. You can't. It never stops. When an opportunity is lost, you have to let it go. Otherwise, you will not hear new opportunities knocking at the door. And you will keep lamenting. Sometimes students say, I had an answer to a con last week, but I didn't get a chance to express it in Dokusan, so I don't know what to say now. Because I didn't come in for Dokusan. Now I lost the answer. What is the con about? Is the con about last week? I think we want to we wanna do it. We want to study everything in the same manner, in the same linear manner. Accumulate, spit it out. Accumulate, spit it out. But this is asking us to throw up. Then look. Throw up some more. Then look. Empty out what's left. Accumulate nothing. So as the story goes, Yuan was asked to leave the monastery. I think the teacher was worried that some of the other monks will look him up at night. Mm -hmm. So he left the monastery after this incident. And later on, Tao passed away. He died. And Yuan went back to Shishuang. Shishuang was a Dharma brother and brought up the foregoing story. And Zhuang said, same thing, I won't say alive, I won't say dead. At that moment, at that moment, Yuan had a realization. Some realization. Took a while. But was this the same question? After he was let go, it was, he went somewhere, came back later on after his teacher died. Some things happened. He did not forget about that which brought the questions about, but he forgot about the question. So then he was able to ask freshly, dead or alive. So then what Shishuang said, did something, moved something in him, opened up the bucket. So at this point, something is finally starting to move. Isn't that a wonderful moment? He's realizing something. When you combine determination, resiliency, and genuine inquiry, the magic of Zen begins to reveal itself and becomes more available. But you better not stop there. Better keep going. Stop there, you're marking the boat. Then you go look for that. I felt great. That was an amazing realization. Why am I trapped again? I thought I'm free. 
So later, Yuan took a hoe into the teaching hall and crossed back and forth, east to west, west to east. And the footnote says, within death, he has found life. Now realizations can feel like you have a bubbling brook in your center and you just want to express it somehow, anyhow. It really does feel this way. You just want to jump up and down. But it still needs to be deepened and go further and further and further and has to be harnessed and employed skillfully. Because you jump up and down and eventually you get tired. And you get hungry. You may get angry too again. <coughs> then the realization means, may mean something. How do you apply it? You go back. So, Shuang said, what are you doing? Yuan said, I'm looking for the relics of our late master. Shuang said, vast waves spread far and wide, forming billows flood the skies. What relics of the late master are you looking for? Zretu added a comment saying, heavens, heavens. Zretu is the compiler of the Heki Ganguku. What is Yuan looking? What is he looking for? Bones? What does he want to do? Put the bones down and bow and thank his teacher? Or does he want to revive something? What is he looking for? Or maybe he wants to ask the question again. But what Shishuang said was so clear. Vast waves spread far and wide, forming billows flood the skies. What are you looking for? There is another comment from a different koan that I often quote. It says, give up recollection. What limit is there to the pure wind circling the earth? What limit is there to you circling the earth? There is a limit. If you hold on to it, if you let go of it, there's no limit. Because the pure wind circling the earth and you are non-dual. Then where's the limit? Well, let me see what page of my story I find. Here it is. Here is the limit, right? I have to remind myself I'm stuck because of that. Yuan said, this is just where I should apply some effort. And then Fu of Taiwan later on said, the late master's relics are still present. The remains of the old masters are still present. And there is no limit to the power of the pure wind. So maybe we too should apply some effort. It's a good way to see that. Whether or not you had some lunch. We all have to clean the balls completely, wash them, 
Whatever it is you experience, it's got to be let go of. Good experience, bad experience, same thing. Got to be, has to be let go of. Or it will become a hindrance. It is already a hindrance. So we should go deeper and deeper and break through. But then how deep is deep? How far do we have to go before we really break through? You know, we practice zazen and, and we all know that, you know, we, we manage our thoughts for a while, they come back, we manage, and then there are periods of no thought. The mind may be churning, but somehow we were able to not take it so seriously and there is this nothingness. And then we, f we realize I am actually not sitting on anything solid and then there is nothing I can call me. In whatever words you say that to yourself. But then that's a very important moment because in those moments, you look and you see in those moments, our tendency is to think about something very quickly. Because we got to give it contents. Because we are terrified of no contents. We want to be tethered to something. We want the umbilical cord to somehow, okay, maybe I'll find an extension, another extension, another extension. Let's see how far I can go, as long as it's still attached. But at some point, we got to cut it. And nobody can cut it for you. It's painful because you got to take scissors and cut your own umbilical cord with your own hands. And if you don't do that, you will forever be attached to life and death. That's essential. So when we experience those moments of weightlessness, of groundlessness in Zazen, as terrifying as it may be, we got to try and stay there longer and longer. Granted, we do run back. True, we do, very quickly. But then we can stay there longer. Every time it happens, stay there longer and longer and longer. Lose a little bit more of yourself. A little bit more. Come back. Next time, try again. Good thing is we do it daily. So we have a chance to wake up. Right? Every day we go back and try again. And every day, tell yourself, today I'm going to go further. I'm not going to sit there and wait for the bell to ring. To ring. I'm going to go further and further and further and lose myself. And every time you do that, you come back and then throughout the day you realize, at the end of the day you realize, today I did not talk about myself so much. Less than yesterday. And every day you talk about yourself less and less and less and less. And you become a lot more interested in other people, your environment, your surroundings, life. The more you die, the more you come to life. 
the only way. Or at least the only way I can tell you. <laughs> Maybe you have a better way, but it works. It really works. We have, to, we have to be curious. We have to not just be fearful, but also curious. You know, kind of like we were when we were kids. I think when we were kids, I don't think we, we were so worried about getting lost. I remember I grew up in different parts of Israel, and, and at some point we moved to a place where, I think I was 13 or 14, we moved to a place where uh, it was an apartment building, and in the back there was a big orchard. And I used to, with a couple other friends, used to go there in the afternoons after school. And we used to, on purpose, get lost, kind of go around in circles until we lose bearings of direction. And we would just get some oranges from the trees, sit down, have oranges, and just enjoy this being nowhere. Not knowing how to go back. Not worrying about wanting to know how to go back. It was incredible. And then eventually, well, obviously, we found our way back. And then it felt like such an amazing adventure. We would come back feeling energized, elated, light. Until we faced the homework. <laughs> But until then, it was great. But there was that. There was this. And we all had it. I mean, we all have it. It's not we had it. We still have it. It's just that when we grow up, somehow we, we think we have to let it go or we, we're afraid to be curious or we think that the job description of an adult says, be serious. But whatever it is, we end up nurturing fear and not, and letting go of being curious. So we have to bring it back. When we venture in Zazen, into that unknown, further and further and further, don't stop. Don't move the way fear makes you move. It's where it is. In a fascicle titled Shoji, Dogen says, It is a mistake to think that we go from being alive to being dead. Being alive is a position at one moment in time. It is already, it already has its past and it will have its future. Therefore, within the Buddha Dharma, we say that life is beyond just the act of being born. Death is also a position at one moment in time, and it too has its past and its future. Accordingly, we say that death is beyond the act of just dying. In the time we call living, there is nothing except life. And in the time we call dying, there is nothing except death. Thus, when life comes, it is simply life. And when death comes, it is simply death. When facing up to them, 
Do not say that you want to cling to one and push away the other. This living and dying is precisely what the treasured life of a Buddha is. Right? But that's natural for us. We want to hold on to life and let go of death. But again, what are we holding on to and what are we letting go of? to think that we are letting go of that which we need and want and we hold on to that which we don't want thinking the opposite what should I indicate you about that in Dogusan how we we create an upside down reality and we believe it to be the only reality there is until we do some work some practice and we realize no it's not like that This is why we don't linger. Because if we linger for a little while, we create an opening for the habits to come and take us and then we're upside down again. The alarm rings in the morning. Get up! Right away! No lingering. Move! Go! You give it an opening, it'll take it. By the way, I'm going to finish with a little story about Dong Shan when he was about to die. When Dong Shan was about to die, he had his attendant help him shave, and shave his head, bathe, and get dressed. He then had the bell rung to summon the monks so that he could bid farewell to them. So he was hanging out with them and then at some point as they were gathered all around him he appeared to have passed away and so the monk began, began wailing away, crying uncontrollably. Suddenly Dongshan opened up his eyes and said to them, Homeless monks aren't attached to things. That is their authentic practice. Why lament an odorous life and a pitiful death? What are you crying about? So, in his amazing compassion, he instructed the temple director to organize what he called a delusion banquet. He decided to stick around for another week for the sake of his monks, his students. Compassion. So then, they had that delusion banquet for one week. They ate a lot of food, got together, had a great time. <coughs> Seven days later, Dongshan had, Dongshan had a final meal with the congregation and then said, don't make now, don't make a big deal about it. When I pass away, don't go carrying on about this. Just let it go. 
Let it go like everything else we have to let go of, moment by moment. Because everything is of the same nature. We call it living, it's of the same nature. We call it dying, it is of the same nature. The moment of death is a continuum. This issue of life and death, again, it can't be avoided even if we ignore it and chase after displacement activities. Sooner or later it catches up with us. So we each have to face it alone and realize that no one, no one can do it for us. Tao Wood did his own exploration, right? His own investigation into this matter and knew very clearly that Chen Yuan needed to do the same. We live alone and we die alone. But this alone has nothing to do with the emotional connotation we attach to it. It is alone as in all one and it leaves no one behind. This cannot be understood through books and discussions and it cannot be given by another. We must go deeper and deeper with absolute perseverance. Reach the precipitous cliff and take the plunge into our own death. And then, only then, we realize that only names, concepts and images die. Everything else is flowing eternally. I don't know if you know, R-U-G is eternal flow. That's what it means, eternal flow. Only names, concepts, stories, books, discussions, die. Everything else is beyond life and death.